At the witching hour, turn your radio to the very edge of your radio static, and you will find the lost signal. Tonight, dear listeners, a very special episode for you. We bring you two tales from Edgar Allan Poe, the fall of the House of Usher, and Hopfrog both adapted for radio by Tilson Mullally. My dearest friend, I know it has been some time since we've met, but these are dark times in the House of Usher. Both my mind and body have become sickly and frail. I fear I have not much time left if I stay isolated in such a way. In boyhood and in manhood, you are the only person I've ever deigned to call a friend. I beg of you to visit when you can. Please. Signed, your dearest friend, Roderick Usher. It was with this letter that I found myself during the whole of a dull, dark, and soundless evening in autumn within view of the melancholy house of Usher. Upon first glimpse of the house, an insufferable gloom came over me, and I could not shake it as I rode down the hill to its dark visage. Its walls were bleak, its windows the vacant eyes of an asylum patient. A few decayed and gnarled trees seemed to reach forward like arms, as if to pluck me from my mount. I looked upon all of this gray place with an utter depression of the soul that can compare to nothing else but perhaps the afterdream of a man on opium. It was here that my dearest boyhood friend, Roderick Usher, made his home. The Ushers were a notable family, keen on acts of charity and benefactors to the arts, notably the science of music. Another notable attribute of the family was the direct lineage of their line. At no time had this time-honored name grown a branch, leaving the entire family laying in the direct tree of descent. As to why I was not privy, I had never asked Roderick how this came to be, and he had never deigned to tell me. As I rode over the short causeway to the house, I realized that, 
Despite our childhood bond, I hardly knew my friend at all. Greetings, sir. Hello there. Boy, take our guest's horse to the stable. It's good to see you, sir. Master Usher has been waiting for you rather expectantly. If you'll come with me, I'll escort you to his chamber. The servant conducted me into the gothic halls of this ancient house in silence. As a boy, I had been through these halls a thousand times, and yet now, the carvings of the ceilings, the pitch black of the oaken floors, the paintings of long-deceased ushers around me, only contributed to the uneasy feeling that had accosted me since I had lain eyes on the house in the distance. When we reached Roderick's study, the valet threw open the door and quickly exited down the hall, leaving me in a dim room lit only by feeble evening light that lanced through the pointed, phantasmagoric windows. At the far side of the room was my dear friend, laying upon an overstuffed crimson sofa. As I saw him, I could hardly believe this was the same person with whom I had shared so many youthful adventures. His skin was of a ghostly pallor, his hair now white and long, akin to a spider's web. His rail-thin frame was so pronounced, I could have sworn his ribs were visible through his clothing. The once vivacious person I had grown up with now reminded me of a cadaver that had forgotten it was dead. As I entered, his eyes opened, revealing two black watery orbs, and he stood to greet me. Ah, oh, my dearest friend, it is so good to see you. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Roderick! I came as soon as I got your letter. Come, sit, sit with me, sit. I'm so glad you could come. I, I, I've been so lost and isolated here, and these, these maladies gradually have become so much worse. Your presence here is such a comfort. Dear Roderick, what is it that you have become afflicted with so suddenly? Constitutional and family evil. One, one that has affected each usher at some point. But, but soon it will pass. I, I'm sure of it. The doctor insists to me that I'm healthy now, but he only declares it so because he cannot find an issue. I, I know the issue, of course. It's an anxiety disorder. One that pervades all of my senses. Even the flickering of a candle is too bright. Each sound is a booming explosion. Spice on my food makes me sick. The smell of a flower could cause me to vomit. I've become a hermit in this one room to shut all of it out. It, it seems the only answer is that I must perish. Otherwise I will be lost to the world. I'm terrified of everything, of, of how it will affect me in this fragile state. It must come to pass, and yet I am terrified. Locked in this battle with the phantasm of fear. Dear Roderick, why do you not leave? Seek treatment in the city. They've made such vast progress in the field. Leave? I could never leave. This, this house of Usher needs a master to keep the gloom of its existence at bay. To absorb the tainted spirit of the grounds. I cannot leave. 
Besides, my my dearest sister Madeline, she would be lost without me. And I her, I do faintly remember her. How is she now? She is gravely sick. A disease no physician can seem to ascertain. And while they dawdle and hypothesize, she wastes away, stagnant, apathetic. If she dies, my dear friend, I alone will be the last remaining in the long line of ushers. I alone. It is a fate I cannot bear. I turned at the sudden presence of a third person entering the room and caught the Lady Madeline as she was slipping away to another part of the house. A gaunt and frail figure even more emaciated than poor Roderick. I had not a chance to gather any more features before another door closed on her and she was gone. I turned to my friend, whose head was now in his hands, a steady stream of tears leaking between his thin fingers. Was that her? Yes. She has been strong and has objected to being bedridden. But it has gotten worse as of late. She can hardly do anything. I'm honored you were able to catch one last glimpse of her, my friend, for I fear now that she returns to bed, she will not leave again. For several days, <clears throat> for several days, the lady of the house went unmentioned by either myself or Usher. I busied myself trying desperately to relieve the depression of my friend. We painted and read together, or I listened as if in a dream to his wild improvisations on his speaking guitar, one of the only sounds that did not seem to affect his senses in any negative way. As the nights wore on, however, it became increasingly obvious that nothing I could do could lift the melancholy of the master of the House of Usher. Darkness poured from him like a black river over all things, and I could not staunch the tide. One night, he shared with me a theory of his that, while novel, gave dark meaning of how close he was to tottering from the edge of his mental throne. Have you heard the theory that involves the sentience of plants? I've heard some, but it seems to be a kind of quackery. I don't think so. I think the idea that plants can have a mind is enthralling. Take, for example, this house. The energy that bleeds from it. D did you not notice the amount of fungi that grows upon its stones? Or the withered trees? The still water of the tarn that surrounds us. They have all grown together for quite some time, my dear friend. Their influence on this place has grown over the centuries. These squalid plants throw their squalid malphias. 
These squalid plants throw their squalid malfeasance upon these walls. Look at the grim demise of my family members. Look at me. To these opinions, I gave no comment and said goodnight. When we met the next evening, I was met with abrupt news from my disturbed friend. My dear friend, the Lady Madeline is no more. Roderick, I'm so sorry. Her malady still remains a mystery. I do not trust the physicians with the remoteness of the family cemetery. I have decided to temporarily entomb her here in the house. Seems to be a wise decision. Will you help me with the entombment, my friend? Of course, Roderick, anything I can do. Together, we bore the encoffined Lady Madeline to a vault that had lain so long unopened our torches were nearly smothered in its atmosphere. It was a small, damp place, entirely without light, located beneath the room I was staying in. It had been used in feudal times as a powder keep, its entire floor enforced with a copper sheath, and its large door was constructed of iron. As we let our mournful burden down, Usher opened the coffin, and together we stared down at its tenant. Family resemblance is clear. Yes. We were twins. Really? I never knew that. We loved each other dearly. Now, I am alone in this world. Come, my friend. Let us leave now. This cannot be good for your condition. In the days after the entombment of Madeline in the vault, a stark change came over my friend. What was left of his jovial manner had disappeared. His guitar and easel lay neglected, collecting dust. Instead of these pursuits, he wandered the halls of his home anxiously, his steps objectless and abrupt. His skin, somehow, took on an even ghostlier hue, and his eyes had become empty, no light of life left in them. Often I would catch him staring into nothingness for hours on end. It was at this point now that my friend's illness not only terrified me, it seemed to infect me as well. I could feel the wild influences of his superstitions creeping down upon me by slow degrees. One week since we had laid Madeline in her tomb below my room, I found that I could not sleep. As the hours waned away, a sense of nervousness pervaded me 
and though I tried to tell myself it had to do with the inherent gloominess of the room, I could not shake the feeling of doom until at length an incubus of seemingly unwarranted alarm sat upon my chest. I lay there, in the dark, shivering, until, low, and hardly audible, I heard a noise. This is... This is not happening. This is... This is a fever dream. I hear nothing. I... Nothing at all. I... Roderick? <laughs> Have you not seen it? Seen what? Oh, you have not seen it. But stay. <laughs> and you shall, my friend. <laughs> his eyes were manic, his voice a warbly timber of insanity as he crossed the room and flung open the window to the fury of the storm. Above us, there was no view of the stars or moon nor was there any lightning jumping forth from the dense cloud cover. Yet, below the fog, the grounds were aglow in a luminous, unnatural light from a visible gaseous exhalation from the marshland that had shrouded the mansion. I struggled to shut the window against the torrent of wind before leading my friend to take a seat away from the havoc. I struggled to shut the window against the torrent of wind before leading my friend to a seat away from the havoc. Roderick! You must not witness this. It is a natural phenomenon, nothing more. This weather is dangerous to your health. Come, let us read together. We'll pass away this terrible night. Come, let us... Did you hear that? <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. Peculiar gust of wind. T'was no wind. Do you hear it now, my friend? Do you? I hear it. I have heard it. For many minutes, many hours, many days, I have heard it, yet I dare not speak. Oh, God. Oh, God, pity this poor, miserable wretch. I dared not, dared not speak. We put her in the tomb, still alive! Roderick, don't... Roderick, don't be insane. Did I not tell you that each sound to me is like an explosion? I have heard her all this time. I heard her in the coffin days ago. But I dared not speak. And now... Now do you not hear? She has broken from her coffin open her prison door and struggles with the copper of the faults. Can you not hear her? The beating of her heart. Her steps on the staircase. I tell you, she is here for me to punish me for my haste. She is behind that door!
dear sister, I am so sorry. The bloodied robed figure of Madeline Usher fell upon her brother, taking him to the ground a corpse. From that chamber, from that mansion, I fled. As I crossed the causeway at the end of the property, a brilliant light flashed behind me, and I turned to see an electric fissure pierce the heart of the mansion, splitting the house in two, and it crumbled down down in a crescendo of rolling brick and mortar until all that was left was a pile of rubble the last remains of the house of usher Welcome to Intermission, dear listeners. We hope you are enjoying the show thus far, and are honored to have you with us for the very first double feature in Lost Signal history. Now is intermission, the time to gather snacks and drinks until we jump into our next show, Hop Frog. While you wait, please... Listen to this advertisement from one of our many colleagues on the Podmoth Podcast Network. Hey everyone, my name is Eddie, producer, legend, and host of my Crunchy Podcast over on the Podmoth Media Network. If you're looking for something chaotic, somewhat messy, and very incomprehensible, then go stream My Crunchy Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So stop searching and start listening to all your new faves from the Pod Moth Media Network team now. I never knew a man who could love comedy so much as the king did. To tell a joke and tell it well was the easiest way to win his favor. So it should come as no surprise that his seven ministers were all accomplished jokesters. It should also come as no surprise that they took after the king in other ways, all of them being rather corpulent, oily men. Whether people grow fat by joking, or something in fat gives a man the power to joke, I've never been for certain. But one thing was clear. A lean jester 
was a rare sight. But as for our king, he did not concern himself with the nuances of wit. Rather, he was a man who appreciated a joke with breath. He would put up with length just for the sake of it. He did not care for the finely crafted verbal jokes. Rather, he was a lover of the practical gag. At the time of this story, jesters had not quite fallen out of favor in courts. Many kings still retained their motley attired jokesters, including our king we speak of today. He kept me. I am Hopfrog. This is not my true name, for I had forgotten it long ago, but one bestowed upon me due to my curious physical predicament. An unfortunate mixture of dwarfism and physical handicap. I could not move as other men do. Rather, I hopped and wriggled my twisted body, a movement that elicited constant mockery and amusement from my audience. I was a fool to be laughed at, not laughed with. And I withstood this abuse for as long as I could remember. The night it would end, though, was the night of the king's annual masquerade. Ah, my jester, Hopfrog! Come hither, will you? Yes, your highness. I understand it is your birthday today, yes? Why? Yes, yes it is, I... Here, drink this! Toast to absent friends, hmm? Thank you, your grace. Ah, we got you there. How do you care for a bit of piss in your wine, hmm? <laughs> now come. We need characters, man. My guests demand entertainment. Go! Yes, sir, I... <clears throat> As I endeavored to move about the room, one of the king's ministers stuck their foot out and tripped me. <laughs> I see. Watch where you're going, cripple. Rage overtook me in that moment and the plan I had been devising for months was ready to be put into play that night. I picked myself up and turned to the king and his ministers. Gentlemen, if you'll allow me, I have a splendid diversion for us tonight. One of my own country's frolics, something we often do at our own masquerades. But for all of you here, it will be entirely new. Now, for this, I do require eight people. 
<laughs> we are here. I and my seven ministers make eight. Come, what is this diversion you have planned for us tonight, Hopfrog? It is called the Eight Chained Orangutans. And if properly enacted, it will be excellent sport. We shall enact it perfectly. <laughs> I'm laughing already. Lovely. I will equip you all as the great apes. Leave that to me. The resemblance will be so striking that the partygoers will take you for the actual beasts themselves. The chains add to the illusion. You will look as though you've all escaped from your handlers and mass. <laughs> this is wonderful, Hopfrog. Your best yet. <laughs> Come, let us get ready. We retired to an empty room to ready the men for the grand jest. I encased them in tight-fitting underclothes, which were then saturated with tar. Shall we add feathers as well, Jester? Heavens no. Have you not seen an orangutan before, sir? I must admit I have not. Well, I have, and I must say a brute such as this creature would be more represented by the use of flax fiber. And so I coated them in the long, sinewy fibers until they look sufficiently beastly. Then, using a long chain, I tied the men together at the waists. There! Now you really look like escaped beasts. Oh, <laughs> Hopfrog! What a wonderful jest this is! It's not done yet, Your Grace. Go now. Revel in the crowd. Get some good screams. Ha <laughs> ha, yes! Come on, men! And revel they did. They ran and grunted and hopped about the party, startling the partygoers and causing the entire room to erupt with laughter. Above them, where normally a chandelier hung, was instead an empty chain. At my own advice, the party planner had had the chandelier removed in order to keep the wax of the candles from dripping down onto the unsuspecting guests. Instead, the room was lit with flambeaux ensconced in the corners of the room. While the king and the merry apes distracted the party, this empty chain discreetly began making its way down to the floor until it hung a mere three feet from the ground. As the apes exhausted themselves, they found the center of the room and rested. Here, I hooked their chain to the empty one, and before they could notice, I cut the counterweight, sending the chain back up and drawing the men tightly together. Fear not, my friends. I have captured the beasts. Leave them to me. I fancy I know them. Let me take this flambeau here so that I may see. I took the torch and leapt atop my king's head before clambering up the chain aways, flambeau still in hand. You see, Though my movement was encumbered, my legs were powerful in a different way. They could push me from the ground quite well. And my arms? 
the strength more than made up for my other deficiencies. I shall soon be able to tell you the identity of these great beasts. Ha <laughs> ha, I see who they are now. And I touched the flame to the flammable flax. I see that this is the king and his seven dogs. Men who do not hesitate to give a man a cup of piss on his birthday. As for myself, ladies and gentlemen, I am Hopfrog, the humble jester. And this is my final jest. Returning now to the edges of your radio static, this has been The Lost Signal. Follow us on Twitter at The Lost Signal 1 and Instagram at The Lost Signal Podcast. Also, follow and rate us on iTunes. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>